Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. We're streamed live via the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. You can listen live um, via 855am and all of our previous podcasts are available via the 3cr.org.au slash freedom of species site as well as on iTunes and Spotify. So thanks to Sally. You've just heard um, Out of the Pan, which is on every Sunday at 12 and covers pansexual issues, including transgender, bisexual and polyamorous issues with Sally Goldner. And today um, we have Caroline and Adam on the show. Hi, Adam. G'day. And we're going to um, welcome our guests for a really um, fantastic chat with uh, Animal Liberation Queensland. And so we have Che Neal, who's the Executive Director, and Amanda Holly, who is the Campaign Manager for um, Intensive Farming Campaigns and also Organiser with uh, Brisbane Animal Save. So welcome, Che and Amanda. Hello. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on. So uh, Animal Liberation Queensland um, has been around um, as a registered charity and independent animal advocacy organisation since 1979. That's right. Uh, yeah. And I understand that ALQ uh, covers a broad range of animal protection issues and seeks to represent the interests of all animals. And... Uh, listeners might know that ALQ um, was involved in a really, I think, pivotal um, investigation in 2015 that was on four corners around the uh, greyhound racing industry and um, live baiting, etc., which I think we'll, we'll sort of get into. But just to, I guess, start off in relation to ALQ, given that there are um, so many pressing issues um, in relation to the way that we use animal in society. How do you prioritise the areas of um, animal rights advocacy that you focus on with your campaigns? That's a good question and it's really difficult, yeah, because like you say, there is no end of issues we could focus on. We try to be strategic and think about where we're best placed for the resources we have and, you know, our kind of track record, what we're good at. Um, 
but yeah, it, it, it's tricky. And, and sometimes it'll be opportunistic um, responding to you know current issues that pop up out of the blue. Um, other times it'll be you know to something we think needs attention. Or um, a particular interest that a volunteer has, and we're happy to, you know, help facilitate, you know, them, you know, driving a campaign. So yeah, there's a quite a mix of different ways that we kind of prioritise. Yeah. And what do you find you you're you are particularly good at? So you mentioned you try to th- you try to go down those lines for the um, sorts of campaigns that you know you're you've got expertise in or, or background in. What has been that background over the last was it seventy eight uh, nineteen seventy nine mm. is that when ALQ started? So you've got a long yeah. history. What's that history include? Oh, lots of things, but yeah, I guess I've only been involved like the last kind of twelve plus years or so. Um, only twelve years. Oh, yeah, only. <laughs> <laughs> a small fraction of our history, but yeah, I mean, over the last kind of you know, five to eight or more years, I guess, there's been a bit of a focus on investigations. Um, so that's one thing. And like Caroline mentioned earlier, the greyhound light baiting has been a, you know, key example of that. Um, but, yeah, I guess just kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit. Like um, we, we'd always try to come across as, you know, professional and we do our research. We make sure everything we say is, you know, backed up by facts and or our own investigations. Um, but we also like to, you know, push the boundaries and, you know, say it how it is. And so I guess finding that happy balance there that, you know, we can push things a little bit and, you know, sometimes that helps with the media attention as well. But, yeah. What do you think, Amanda? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I think we are focusing a lot more on, on just getting out there and to – Queensland's a very big state um, mm. and uh, it covers, covers a lot of ground and, and we're focusing a bit more on getting out to the more regional areas um, as much as possible where I think, um, you know, that there hasn't been a lot of um, attendance from animal activists in the past um, and the, there's a lot of stuff happening out there that um, it needs to be seen. So, mm. yeah. we're talking about pushing the boundaries. Uh, you launched a really fantastic campaign um, in May, uh, beef.org.au, which I thought was hugely impactful. And pushing the boundaries, I thought some of the um, the billboards that you had up in, you know, Rockhampton, um, even Fortitude Valley, you know, other parts of Queensland were just incredible. So can you talk us through, um, I guess, the background on how that campaign developed? Yeah, so we um, we decided that, well, first of all, we launched um, the beef campaign um, to coincide with Beef Week, which is um, the Australian Beef Industries flagship event. It happens every three years. And it's not really had much um, attention from animal rights groups in the past. So we decided that we wanted to change that. Um, and um, we sort of did some investigations. So we, like I said before, got out to the more regional areas um, feedlots, sale yards, um, slaughterhouses, and um, just documented um, 
you know, what we saw. Uh, we also, um, Che and, uh, um, a environmental scientist, um, worked on uh, a fantastic report, um, mm. which, uh, looked into the animal welfare and also the environmental impacts of the beef industry. And yeah, um, we, we got the billboards and we also, um, uh, decided that we would, uh, do a press conference right outside, uh, Beef Week at the, at the front gate, <laughs> which yeah. was uh, quite bold. Um, but yeah. yeah, again, pushing, uh, you know, yeah, pushing the envelope and, um, I guess the, the, um, idea there was to really just disrupt it and, um, and we did, uh, we had yeah. overwhelming, uh, media response. I think it was over 80 press clippings, um, both national and international. Um, and the website had thousands and thousands of visits in that week, um, heaps of report downloads and, um, the message was, what we wanted it to be as well. Um, it, it was about the impacts of the beef industry and, um, we worked with a fantastic, um, publicist, Plant Powered Press, um, to, to, you know, sort of drive that media side of it. And, um, yeah, we were really, really happy with how it went. Mm. Yeah. I thought it was really impactful. Mm. Can I ask about some of the response um, from the beef industry uh, <laughs> to the campaign? Because, yeah, I did see quite a lot of um, news articles and they were all sort of framed like, um, you know, activists crash uh, Queensland's Beef Week and, you know, they use all this very, um, very emotive uh, sort of language. Was there really much feedback, I guess, from industry to the really substantial, you know, 40-page report um, that you had actually put together and, and some of the, the key um, messages there about the environmental impact um, and also issues around um, the way animals are treated in the industry? There was. I'll let Che cover that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I think it's pretty clear that industries, the, the, the way that they engage and respond to this is to try to try their best to silence us and then try their best to do their own greenwashing. Um, you see the industry's recently been really pushing on the climate angle and, you know, developing videos and launching websites and they're, they're really trying to push them, you know, make people believe that they're these, you know, <laughs> that they're leading the way um, mm. in fixing the climate crisis. Um, yeah, but I mean, we'd love to engage with the industry and actually, you know, have that discussion like these are the issues. And we actually delivered a, um, a copy of the report to the Meat and Livestock Australia office in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, of course, there's been no actual dialogue around the content of the report. They're just not interested in that. You know, instead, we actually got letters from lawyers and, you know, things like that. So it's been, can't go into details really, but mm. yeah, it's been quite a process to, you know, push back against that and it can be mm. pretty scary having such a big industry, um, you know, threatening a organization of our size. So it's, yeah, yeah I mean, but it certainly shows that they're worried. I think the industry is very worried about us cutting through this message and, educating people on the real impact that the industry is having. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. And have you had have you had um much response from 
not the industry, but people outside of the industry, maybe people who weren't already um, sort of thinking about these issues, say vegans and, and people of that um, nature, about the report. I'm, I'm just looking through the report now and it, it looks quite good. It's, it, it's a, um, plenty of good um, science in there and uh, very nicely put together. Mm. It looks great. Have you had much feedback? Yeah, lots of positive feedback. Um, but I mean, yeah, like a 40 page report isn't kind of something that your everyday, you know, consumer or member of the public is going to sit down and read through, especially on some of the content, um, particularly in that animal welfare stuff is quite confronting. Um, but yeah, we're really quite keen to push that report into, you know, decision makers, policy makers and that sort of thing. So we'll be, we've started doing a little bit of that, but we've still got we, that's, you know, another spot we want to go with this. We did have a, a series of videos that we released as part of the campaign as well, um, and they're also up on the website. And I think I think those are the th- sort of things that sort of cut through to um, to the public, to the general public a bit more. Um, and certainly that there has been a lot of um, feedback, um, especially about the, the content. I think people aren't aware that, you know, Cows can be transported for 48 hours without food or water and that, you know, pain relief isn't widely used and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah. Even, even the extent of feedlots, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. the average, average person that might eat a bit of beef now and then would still, you know, think of beef comes from a cow grazed and, you know, nice lush hills and <laughs> had a nice life. They just don't realize how, how extensive feedlots are, like how many feedlots there are and, yeah, I think that's right. And, and I don't think people also necessarily know um, just how large the industry is and how mm. many animals are actually, um, well, let's trapped within that industry, uh, whether mm. they are in feedlots or, or in other parts of um, the industry and supply chain. So I think that's probably quite shocking to people as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, if we continue on the theme of sort of public education, um, I really wanted to talk to you both about the um, campaign around veganism and the Vegan for Life uh, website and booklet that you've developed because I think that is also just fantastic that it covers a lot of issues in relation to the way that we uh, use animals, um, not only for food, um, in other ways in society, but really nicely, I think, personalises stories of individuals, of everyday people, of why they have chosen to make significant changes in their life and become vegan. So can you tell us a little bit about this campaign and how did this um, sort of come about and um, I guess what kind of response you've had from people in relation to the campaign? Um, I think it came about really just from needing to have a call to action that we could put on. Um, you know, we, we use social media quite heavily um, and there's there's not always a campaign link to a particular um, issue that we might be posting about, um, and we we just felt it was important to always always have a call to action. So, 
Um, and and rather than using a, a third party vegan resource, we decided to develop our own, um, and 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 that way it could be what we wanted it to be. Um, so again, yeah, we we partnered with um, a dietitian, Amanda Benham, um, who's up here in in Queensland and has been vegan for over 30 years and is fantastic. Um, so she gave us the health advice, uh, the, the health um, information, I should say. Um, and, yeah, we, we worked with local activists and uh, local vegans to, to get their stories and um, worked with some local um, micro-sanctuaries and photographed their animals. And, um, yeah, it's uh, that was... That was actually our lockdown, our first lockdown project of 2020. <laughs> um, so when we couldn't be out there in, um, you know, uh, you know, investigating and, and campaigning and stuff, that that's what we that's what we did. It looks really great. And for those listening, yeah. if you want to check it out, it's vegan for life and four as in the number. dot mm-hmm. um, org dot au, and I love that play on play on words it's very uh, very good um yeah, yeah it looks looks really nice uh, and great a great outcome from um a you know lockdown situation so yes. congratulations on that. and you. yeah on on this particular campaign what's the um feedback are you that i can see that there's a take the challenge have you mm-hmm. um had many people register or, or take on that take on that challenge yeah i don't I haven't looked at the numbers lately, but it's hundreds, yeah, yeah. many, like probably over a thousand, I'd, I'd say. Um, so yeah, we, we also did some sort of billboard campaigns and stuff last year around that. Um, and yeah, it was important to us that we also looked at the, the three reasons that people go vegan mm. and that, so, you know, for the planet, for the animals and for, for the health. Um, and that we covered all, all sides of that. We also wanted to have something that was light and not um, uh, not graphic, um, so just yeah. more palatable for the everyday person, which sometimes isn't what we do with on ALQ. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can really appreciate that. And it also has some really nice recipes in the back of the booklet and online, which is always really helpful. Look, I appreciate that, that it is really um, nicely covering all of those issues and um, a very good introduction for people uh, when you might be handing it to them in the street, etc. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fantastic. All right. We might actually go to a song now. So the first song we are going to listen to is All Good Girls Go to Hell by Billie Eilish. My Lucifer is lonely Standing there, killing time Can't commit to anything but a crime Leaders on vacation An open invitation Animals, evidence Pearly gates look more like a picky fence Once you get inside I've got friends but can't invite them Hills burn in California My turn to ignore ya Don't say I didn't warn ya All the good girls go to hell Cause 
even got herself as enemies And once the water starts to rise And heaven's out of sight She'll want the devil on her team at you, needing me, you know I'm not your friend without some greenery, walking, wearing feathers, Peter should know better, your cover up is caving in, man is such a fool, why are we saving him, poisoning themselves now, begging for our help, wow, who's burned in California, my turn to ignore ya, don't say I didn't want ya, the good girls go to hell Cause even got herself As enemies And once the water starts to rise And heaven's out of sight She'll want the devil on her team Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully, it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. And we're back with uh, Che and Amanda from ALQ. And we're talking about some of their incredible campaigns um, and the work that they do advocating for all animals. So we might go back to... Um, the topic of greyhounds. So, I mean, there's the the really um, well-known investigation that you did around greyhounds um, in conjunction with Animals Australia that aired in 2015 on um, 
Live baiting. Yeah, live baiting on four corners. Mm. <laughs> I had a mental block. Mm. So could you tell us a little bit about that and how that, that campaign, um, how that investigation came about? Yeah, so it was actually started off as a much sort of smaller, more modest campaign, I'd say, that we're really just trying to stop a new greyhound track being built at Logan um, back in sort of 2013, 2014. And, you know, we had, there was a really well-run community campaign. There's like a lot of the community on side. Um, just, we just weren't getting anywhere with the councillors and the state government, um, just didn't seem to want to listen to the community, but we'd heard so many damning things about this industry. And, and I guess through that campaign, we'd also made quite a lot of links with um, rescue organisations as well that often rehome, receive these, I guess, you know, really damaged dogs that, you know, have so many issues from being in this industry. And they'd heard a lot of things as well. And then we thought, right, we've just got to start digging a bit deeper. And, yeah, so a, a lot of late nights, a couple of our investigators you know, just started exploring a couple of the key greyhound um, trainers' private tracks. And then, you know, it took a couple of goes before they, you know, found anything worthwhile. But, yeah, I'll just never remember getting the footage back and just the first time you could hear, like, I think it was a possum kind of squealing on the audio. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the visuals yet, but we knew there's something going on there and we needed to get back. And so, yeah, eventually we had enough material and, Although each time they went back, they'd find more like well-known trainers um, attending and getting their dogs live trained through live baiting. So it was, you know, certainly not just a rogue off rogue off radar. So yeah, mm. that's when, of course, as you mentioned, we went to Animals Australia and they ran investigations in Victoria and New South Wales and turned into mm. quite a big national story. Yeah, I remember it well. Um, it's really, yeah, shocking. And again, I think it's um, greyhound racing is not well known in terms of, I guess, the magnitude of the the um, issue in issues in the industry around, you know, how many um, puppies are born every year that actually never end up being on a racetrack, um, and the lives, I guess, that they're that they're living, um, often, you know, in um, cramped conditions with other dogs and the things that they have to do to, I guess, perform and, and race. Um, so I think that was also really something that, um, you know, opened my eyes a bit more about the industry. Yeah. And mm. off the back of that, we saw there was some hope that there would be some, some lasting change. Um, and unfortunately, that didn't uh, come about yet. And, and actually it seems like they've, that industry has done a very good job of doing some humane washing and having people, um, other people and other organizations sort of deal with their, their issue. Um, could, do you see any hope for, for that continued campaign or, or the end of that industry, particularly because it, it does seem to be a niche, a niche, um, sort of industry or a niche, Sport. Yeah, I, I, hate, I don't think you could call it a sport. Whatever it is, mm. it's something that's not not a lot of people actually really participate in. Mm. Why do you think it persists, and and why is it so hard to get action on? Do you think, even though there's this stark evidence, and I don't imagine it might have changed for a, for a year or two after that, but I imagine all the stuff that you folks brought to light is still going on right now. 
Yeah, I don't doubt that. And yeah, well, there has been some changes, um, definitely nowhere near enough, but there are some sort of ongoing things. The industry's got a lot more restrictions around them, more monitoring, and but yeah, they've managed to escape, you know, what are we now, six, six years later, mm-hmm. um, quite well from it all. And I guess politically, it's really disappointing that the New South Wales did that backflip because I think, you know, no Premier in the foreseeable future is going to be brave enough to, you know, do the same thing because they know the fate that <laughs> will await. But if you look on the worldwide sort of scene, you know, we are one of very few countries that still do greyhound racing. Other countries are, you know, banning it um the United States are banning it state by state, so there's relatively few states left in the United States that are still doing greyhound racing. So, yeah, I think I think it will definitely end, um, but you know, I don't think in the next couple of years. I think it'll be longer, unfortunately, but I think eventually it could be a generational thing by the time the current generation has you know passed on through the industry. Maybe it'll be. Hopefully, we don't get a new generation into it that are so steadfast that mm. yeah mm. yeah it's pretty concerning isn't it but um i will try ho- try and hold that hope that uh it will slowly start to phase out as you say Jay, like in other parts of the world yeah it's just sad that it keeps getting government support they keep throwing money at it and there's still new That's tracks on, in the pipeline new south wales and queensland and probably other places as well so that's yeah. our goal at the moment is to hold that line. We don't still want the industry to, you know, expand. Mm. And, it, and it's so surprising also that, um, you know, even in the last five years, last 10 years, last 20 and 30 years, definitely there is such a change in the way that um, a large number of Australians and, and people in, in other um, societies around the world relate to animals. And that is largely driven by our relationships with our companion animals and dogs in particular. I think I was reading a stat um, yesterday that I think Australia has one of the highest, if not the highest rates of um, of dogs in the home. And I think we're at 40% or something of people in Australia uh, or homes in Australia include a dog. And that change, I, I, I hold out hope that that changing relationship that we see people recognising and relating more closely with their dogs and as Chase says, younger people, I think, mm. particularly. Um, hopefully we do see that change. Uh, but, yeah, it's 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 always troubling. <laughs> it's always troubling. But as you say, Che, it's sort of generational. It's sort of like the pub. There's less people going to the pub and probably to the tab as well and it might just be something that, um, that dies out with that, possibly that culture. I don't know. Mm. Can only hope... <laughs> can only hope. Yeah. Well, we might move on to a different uh, campaign topic, if that's okay. And this is another area that, um, you know, watching from afar down here in Victoria, I think that uh, you do exceptional work on in ALQ, which is campaigns against rodeos that I cannot believe still exist in um, a modern society. But there you go. I've been very happy that we actually haven't in Victoria had any um, rodeo events on this year, but that's only because of COVID, right? So uh, 
that have been obviously happening in, in New South Wales and, and in Queensland, um, but uh, we haven't had them happening down here. So, yeah, I, I've noticed that you've, you've had such a comprehensive um, ongoing campaign against um, rodeos, and um, would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, should I start? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been going for quite a few years now, mm. um, our amazing um, director of that campaign, Gail, has been doing a great job really driving that campaign through the years and and it's supported by a really great team of volunteers that also get to a lot of rodeos. And that's been a quite a central part of the campaign is getting to as many rodeos as we can and filming so that if there's an you know, something outside of the rules, um, you know, animal cruelty, that we can, you know, lodge complaints, that we can highlight that, that we can use that on social media and sometimes in the media as well. Um, certainly if there's, like, an animal might break his, break his leg um, and then get killed, so we're there to capture that because otherwise no one will ever hear um, that that happened except for the people that were physically there and saw it um, mm. who probably, you know, already forgotten by the time they grab the next beer. So... <laughs> Um, that's been a really key part of the campaign is using that footage and using that presence mm. to really highlight what goes on. And we only make it to a you know relatively small percentage of rodeos because especially in Queensland there are so many. Mm. Mm. But, um, but yeah, one of the um, things in the campaign we've been really trying to do is push for a ban on calf roping because we recognise yes. that you know we're not going to ban rodeos in the next few years at least in Queensland. Ultimately, we hope we'll get there, but um, you know, to get rid of some of the worst events um, would be mm. a real win for quite a lot of animals. But it, even that's proving more difficult than we hoped with, you know, oh. we've got public opinion on our side, science, animal welfare science on our side. Um, you know, we've got footage that clearly shows the issues. We've got the support of all the animal protection organisations from the RSPCA mm. through to, you know, the Veterinary Association, like everyone. But, you know, the government is still reluctant to you know, do anything that might push back against the industry, I guess. And is that is that industry, is it a a political, you know, move in terms of not wanting to annoy the base, like a base of um, rural, rural um, folk? Is that the, is that the issue? I'd say 100% that's the issue. It's, it, it all comes down to politics. It, it can't be anything else. It's, you know... The, the welfare is there, the, the evidence is there, the public opinion um, is there. Um, so, yeah, why wouldn't they just ban it? It's it's not even really a, a popular event in rodeos. So calf roping is usually one of the first events. It's, it's often um, done before the majority of the crowd even get there. A lot of rodeo mm. supporters don't like calf roping. Um, so, yeah, and there's not a, a large number of, um, participants either. It's, it's a fairly, you know, there's, there's heaps of bull riders, um, mm. there's heaps of, um, participants for the other events, but there's not a, a not a huge number of, of calf ropers. So, um, yeah, two and two together, I'd, I'd say it's definitely a political move. On on the um, collecting footage and all of that, I remember uh, when the Greyhound sort of um, story broke, and when we had the stories of uh, of live exports coming, there was this pushback, uh, both politically 
um, and in other places about, well, we should be getting the footage. If you get the footage, you need to get it out to um, a protection organisation within 48 hours. Did, is that the case? Like, is that the expectation? Has that changed? Is there a rule around that? And and do you, is that something that happens, or was it was it just something that was talked about? And they were trying to say, well, why aren't they doing? Why aren't they getting this to the RSPCA or the vets straight away? Um, obviously, it was a it was a way to try and delegitimise campaigns mm. and and the gathering of information like you do. Um, but has anything actually happened around that? Has there been any forcing of that sort of those sorts of ideas? Mm. There have been, you know, some moves around um, various types of ad gag laws, both federally and in various states, including in Queensland. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, you know, having to provide footage in a certain amount of time, that hasn't um, happened here. Um, but yeah, like obviously that sort of thing would have, you know, prevented um, what we spoke about earlier with the greyhound live baiting campaign. And I remember making submissions to various inquiries that, you know, this is a key example of why this. You know, some people might see it as a good idea, um, but it just would, you know, prevent these widespread systemic things from being, um, from being, you know, gathering that evidence and handing it in a proper way that shows that it's systemic, not just a one, you know, bad apple. I think there is a 12, is, correct me if I'm wrong, Shay, but there's a 12 month, um, time period for, um, prosecutions against Petition. animal cruelty. Um, yeah. unfortunately that's not, Something that we, whilst we would like more animal cruelty prosecutions, um, especially from our footage, it's that the, the number is so small anyway. So um, public um, public awareness is probably more more the focus of of most of the stuff that we do. Yeah, but generally with the rodeo campaign, we do put the footage out pretty quickly. Yeah. So once we mm-hmm. get back from a rodeo. Um, you know, um, we'll go through that footage and we will post parts of it on social media. If there's stuff that's worthy of a complaint, even if we're not sure, we'll generally lodge it anyway. Um, mm. The authorities can then, you know, investigate. Um, yeah, because it, like, those sort of things we, we want responded to um, fairly quickly. I think we can already make our case that, you know, there's these massive, indus- um, massive issues in the industry and that all events have a level of stress to the animals and cruelty, so... Yeah, it's sort of highlighting the ubiquity that it happens at every single event at every mm. time. And mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, I guess the difference with the rodeo campaign as well is that you know 99% of it is perfectly legal. Um, the way they treat the animals, there'll be you know minor violations here and there, um, mm. but most of it is legal still. Um, and also we're legally going in as well to film. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've certainly noticed that the um, on social media anyway, the public response to um, a lot of the footage is um, overwhelmingly questioning how this can continue, um, and particularly calf roping. You know, what sort of you know abhorrent mind came up with this as some form of entertainment? Um, it's just so archaic. So yeah. Thank you for all your efforts in trying to um, shut that down because, uh, it's, yeah, it's just incredible. It still continues. Mm. On that note, we might go to another song. So uh, this one is uh, January 26th by AB Original. You can call it what you want, but it just don't mean a thing. No, it just don't mean a thing. 
for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organizations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Where your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kufiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. This is Hugo Race, and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. Subscribe now. Okay, and we are back with Amanda and Che from Animal Liberation Queensland. 
and we're talking about campaigns and the work that they do uh, in terms of advocating for all animals. And you're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR, 855 AM, via podcast or stream it live online. Great. So we might uh, switch topic a little bit and talk about um, the dairy industry. Um, Today, interestingly enough, is uh, World Plant Milk Day. And um, if people don't know about that, we'll um, link you to some information um, on World Plant Milk Day, which started in 2017 and was founded by Robbie Locke from Plant Based News. And it's been really, really popular um, in the last few years. Certainly in Victoria, we have done quite a lot of um, plant-based milk tastings, etc., which have been really popular. Of course, we can't do that at the moment um, with the uh, COVID-19 restrictions that we're undergoing. But one of the things that um, Robbie and Plant-Based News are really promoting this year is that... Um, you know, the diversity of vegan milks um, is just growing so, so uh, much with the global shift towards, you know, plant-based eating. And uh, the market for plant-based milks is predicted to be worth $74.2 billion by 20, uh, 2027. So it's huge. And we know that the dairy industry is really uh, worried about that and we see that play out in a whole bunch of ways like not wanting um, companies to be able to market things as milk because people will be confused and all sorts of, you know, spurious arguments. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to go back to um, some of the work that you do around um, educating people about the, the dairy industry in particular. Sure. Yeah. So we, we did run a campaign called Ditch Dairy for quite a few years. It's not really such an active campaign right at present because we've kind of consolidated a lot of that into the Vegan for Life um, website and everything that you mentioned earlier. But probably the first one to talk about was um, back in 2015. We actually did a um, public awareness campaign thanks to a voiceless grant where we had a radio ad um, on sort of mainstream Brisbane radio right during peak time um, with a little, I think it's like five-year-old um, boy, basically speaking on behalf of a bobby calf and saying how he was been taken away from his mother and, you know, put on a scary truck and taken away. And that really you know, touched a lot of people and <laughs> annoyed a lot of people too. We got a number of complaints, of course, that people just didn't want their kids hearing that. They didn't want to answer questions or think about it. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was, you know, one of our earlier um, ditch dairy campaigns that was quite effective. Um, yeah, so through that, I think, yeah, quite a number of people just – would have been the first time they really heard about, you know, the bobby calves and what happens mm-hmm. in the dairy industry that, you know, <laughs> I mean, even when I was vegetarian for, you know, 10 years, I didn't think about, you know, I thought mm. I was doing all the right things and until yeah, I you know, did the same. research and learned about bobby calves and everything else. So I think it's still one that a lot of people don't understand. Mm. But then, and just, yeah. And just the, the myth that I've got some very, you know, and we all know that intelligence does not... <laughs> Does not really equate very well in these sorts of conversations. I've got very intelligent friends who believe, you know, a scientist who's he trained as a scientist, works at EPA, 
um, and or did work at EPA and believed that dairy cows just gave milk yeah. all the time mm. without having to be pregnant. Yeah. It's just boggles the Ooh. mind. It's so uh, it's so normalised. Oh, it's just cows, they just give milk. They're not like other mammals, which all require to be have, have <laughs> children to, to lactate. It's um, It's incredible. Yeah, the myth. The industry has done a brilliant job of for hiding sure. it all over for, for decades. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So you think about what we're all taught in schools about how milk mm. is so important for your bones and calcium and stuff, and you'd, you'd be easy to not realise that there's other sources of calcium. And but yeah, and then of course they yeah. just you never get taught yeah all that stuff we just mentioned mentioned about you know needing to be pregnant to produce milk and the bobby calves and like all these other issues that really should be you know you shouldn't be able to reach adulthood without you know <laughs> understanding these things that are you know a bottle of milk that comes on the supermarket shelf where it comes from mm. absolutely I did, I did hear a hopeful stat though that um I'm not sure what the date was but it's not too far in the future but they reckon that plant-based um plant-based dairy will be uh, about 57% of the market. And it might have been like in the 2030s sort of thing. So it's plant-based milks Mm. in particular are just gaining so much, so much traction. Mm. That's fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. it's definitely coming. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got one more story um, on the on dairy in Queensland. It's actually a dairy farm in Queensland that sent me vegan. It was um, spending oh. some time on the lemon tree feedlot oh, um, in yes. 20, 2012. And um, I, I was did some work going up the east coast of Australia that required me to go to dairy farms along the coast. And um, I kept on stopping and asking, you know, where are dairy farms up up in Queensland and stuff? And people would give me stories about lemon tree, about mm. and and even even dairy farmers sort of being like, oh, I don't really like what goes on there. It's one of the largest, I think, feedlots, um, dairy feedlots in Australia. Um, when I was there, at least three thousand head of of um, dairy cows, and just huge and it's not like you say people think of rolling hills especially when they think of dairy this feedlot is out in the middle like it's mm. south south um mid queensland and it is dry hot and the sun is always out it is it would not be a nice place to live as a dairy cow in a small pen with very little shade it's um mm. yeah it's a real mm. i didn't even know these things existed huge dairy feedlots and I have a, mm. a, sorry to say, beef feedlot right next to it, which is also huge. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So concerning. Well, I'm going to hold on um, to the hope of the rising, um, <laughs> rising plant milk base, uh, plant milk industry and uh, people, more and more people sort of really, I guess, becoming aware of, um, just how horrific the dairy industry is for for the animals who are part of it, but also um, just how bad consuming dairy actually is for us mm. as well. So I'm going to hold on. Hold and my oat, milk, that. oat milk's so good. <laughs> well, oat milk. That's, that's the thing. If people love the taste of dairy, oat milk's really creamy. Mm. Can you tell the difference? I don't know. <laughs> 
There's so many good options these days. And mm. I think that's a, that's one thing that people sometimes miss is that, you know, people that are used to dairy might try one type of soy milk or something mm. and they yeah. just go, oh, not for me. But it's like, yeah, if you try a few different types, find the best types that people recommend and then try eat a couple of oat and almond like you'll find one that you like for sure. Or you'll find a lot that you like more likely. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And, I mean, that's been the really lovely thing. When we have been able to do um, plant-based milk tastings, people just love to chat about that. You know, I've seen something in the supermarket I wasn't sure, so I didn't buy it, or I had this one at my friend's house and I didn't really like it. Um, so it's been, you know, really great when we can get out and, and share, um, I guess, I guess uh, good news information and um, tastings with people. So next year, I hope. (laughs) Surely. We'll all be better next year. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to switch topic a little bit because I see the time is racing away and we could be talking to you for hours. Like we really wish that show um, sometimes is um, a couple of hours long, not just just one hour. Can you talk us through the um, relationship between Animal Liberation Queensland and Brisbane Animal Save? So, Amanda, I know you're heavily involved in both, and I see that, yeah, the organisations work so beautifully together um, in terms of the advocacy that you do and the messages that you can you get out there for people. Yeah, sure. So I guess Brisbane Animal Save really... Um, started as a campaign for Animal Liberation Queensland and it's continued oh. that way. Um, so I had, um, I had started volunteering for Animal Liberation Queensland and I'd also, um, joined as a board member, uh, late 2016 and I was looking for a campaign to run and I went to Che and I had the idea of circuses. Um, and Che, being the strategic thinker that he is, um, sort of suggested that whilst obviously circuses are very important, the over the number of animals that are affected um, is much larger in animal agriculture. Um, and so we decided um, to do something around animal agriculture. Um, and then I went to the Animal Activist Forum um, in 2016, I think it was, um, on the Gold Coast, and I saw Anita from the Save Movement um, speak, and um, and that was that was it. I decided, okay, I'm going to start a, a Save group, um, and yeah, we I, I took the idea to to the board, and um, you know, just sort of ask, could I could I do this under ALQ, and um, and that way it would be. Um, supported and, um, you know, be able to obviously push it to the, um, ALQ volunteers and supporters. Um, and yeah, I, we started in, I think we had our first vigil February 2017. Um, yeah. and it's continued that way. And we have a fantastic, um, relationship with the SAVE movement. I also um, do content creation for the SAVE movement in my spare time. Uh, <laughs> not a lot of that, but, um, yeah, it's um, – and, it, yeah, that, that, that's that's how it operates. Oh, fantastic. Mm. And for people listening, can you talk through um, what the vigils are like? What, what, what is it like to attend a vigil? What happens? 
Mm, sure. Um, so there are very, um, obviously very somber um, events. So we um, we do vigils, we hold vigils at, um, at there's four sort of main slaughterhouses around Brisbane. So three are cow slaughterhouses and there's also um, Ingham's, which is obviously a chicken slaughterhouse. Um, so depending on where we are, it's, um, it can be a bit different. So um, the cow slaughterhouses, we unfortunately don't have any safety agreements. Um, we, we keep trying, but not yet. So we'll usually have a, um, a safety briefing. We, we always have a safety briefing before the vigil um, and everything. Everybody signs a code of conduct and there's very um, clear safety guidelines that we um, ask everybody to follow. Um, and depending on where it is, um, we'll usually just stand on the side of the road. There's signs and we wait for, for trucks to arrive. Um, nobody's ever under any pressure to, to do anything when those trucks arrive, but um, most people will film or take photographs or just sit there and, and observe and um and just have that sort of, um, yeah, just bear witness and 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 sort of say goodbye. Um, it's a very um, welcoming and supportive um, group of people that we have. Um, there's always new people, um, and there's always a few um, regular people. So um, everyone really looks out for each other. Um, when we have vigils at Ingham's, we're very fortunate to have had a safety agreement with them for a long time, uh, for mm. a few years now. So um, the trucks will actually stop for us at Ingham's and we usually get around 30 seconds to a minute with each truck. Um, so that's a, a sort of better opportunity to get up close and um, film, take photos um, and just, yeah, observe and say goodbye. Yeah. And I mean, the, the whole purpose of, you know, people often ask what, what is the purpose and it, it, it's really just to remind people that they existed, you know, that, yeah. that it, you know, the, the neatly packaged sort of products that they pick up off the supermarket shelves were an individual at, at some stage. And, um, I think it's very powerful to, to have, to document that, um, you know, as they're, as they're about to, as they're about to go into the slaughterhouse and it, you know, really is their final moments. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I agree very much with that. Well, unfortunately I think we're pretty much out of time and I really think there was so many other things that we wanted to have a chat about, <laughs> but maybe any final comments, if there's anything that you did want to share um, with listeners before we call it a wrap. I'm looking at Shay. <laughs> Where might people find more information about um, your various campaigns? Yes, no, um, uh, I hadn't prepared anything, but no. So, yep, so everything you can find on our website at alq.org.au. And as Amanda mentioned earlier in the show, we're quite active on social media, so you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other channels. And, of course, the Beef Campaign, the new website at beef.org.au. 
which the industry really hate us having that domain. <laughs> and I was going to say, lot. great It was work. the best. It was the man. best. How is it free? I mean, it's <laughs> And yeah, the other one is um, Vegan for Life, which, Adam, yep. you mentioned before. So vegan4life.org.au. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time, Chay and Amanda. We've really, really enjoyed um, chatting with you. We will share links uh, to all of the sites and the campaigns when we actually um, put up the podcast so people can go and follow your incredible work. And uh, thanks, everyone, for, for joining us today. We'd also like to ask listeners to send any feedback to us if you would like to email us at freedomofspecies at gmail.com or contact us at Facebook or Twitter, which is um, FOS Radio. We're going to go out with the final song, which is um, Nameless Faceless by Courtney Barnett. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Great work. Yeah, you so much good work you said. Oh, thank you.
been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.